Welcome back into our live stream today. We're going to be breaking down what's happening in the markets from a CPI standpoint. Obviously, we saw some movement in a downtrend. What does that mean for the markets? We'll try to break all of that down for you guys today with a special guest. My name is Paul Barron. Welcome back into TechPath. Of course, as we know, uh, CPI had a little bit of a higher expectation coming in a little lower, and this could be signs of a pivoting market. We'll dive into that, but also kind of take a look at maybe how is the long-term play here in the crypto markets. And of course, we'll do that with a special guest we've had on the show before, and that is Mark Yusko, who's the founder and CEO and chief investment officer over at Morgan Creek Capital. Great to have you back on, Mark. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. Excited for the conversation. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So big news today, of course, obviously the markets are responding quite interestingly. Uh, ETH is on fly. We've got Bitcoin of correct, kind of in a little bit of a correction mode right now. With the price or with inflation moving at this pace, because I think a lot of people did anticipate that we would see a softening of inflation uh, from the 9.1 and where we are right now at 8.5. First of all, what is your opinion of how this will affect markets in the short period of time? Do you think we're in for a, a little bit of a run here or do you think it's going to be short lived? Uh, look, I think we're in a, a summer doldrums, short covering kind of market. Um, you know, what's interesting about, about bull markets and bear markets, you know, there's never been, Paul, in, in all the time we've, we've had markets, there's never been a 4% up day in a bull market. Right. That doesn't happen, right? Because a bull market is a market that goes up most days, a little bit, but goes down sharply on bad news or perceived bad news. A bear market, conversely, goes down most days and then goes up sharply on good news or perceived good news. So a couple weeks ago, we had a 4% up day in, in NASDAQ. Why? Well, because Microsoft came in, missed revenues, missed earnings, but said, oh, you know, I know we only grew 3% you know, qu this, this quarter, but, but really by the end of the year, we're gonna be back to 12. Like yeah. based on what? Based yeah. on 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 what? I mean, GDP numbers are coming in light. Growth is collapsing. Uh, earnings usually follow growth. So it was just amazing to watch. And so, look, this summer, I don't know if you've been out and about, but this summer, no one's working. I mean, you and I are working right now, but everyone's on vacation. Everyone is gone. There's no volume in the markets. And when there's low volume in markets, you can get these kind of short, squeezy days on perceived good news. So you asked the question about inflation. CPI is kind of a silly number. It's massively lagging. It really doesn't have anything to do with reality. And I'll give you a perfect example. So over the last two years, really over the last you know, 18 months or so, uh, the Fed created half of all the dollars in the history of the Republic. 248 oh, yeah. years, they created half. So theoretically, the dollar should have weakened uh, about 50%, okay? And Bitcoin price should have risen 100%. Almost, over the last two years, Bitcoin's up almost exactly 100%. Mm -hmm. And so it reflected all of the inflation that we were going to see over the past year in real time. So people who look at CPI numbers, they're just, they're looking in the rear view mirror. The road's already turned and they're about to fly off the cliff. Well, and I think the, the point of that is that 
traditionally retail, as, as we all know, retail traders typically do react to these kind of markets. We saw it in the market today. CPI prints low, market goes up. Uh, and it's the kind of scenario that retail typically brings to the table. This is something we talk about here on our show quite a bit. This was an article from USA Today. Inflation comes off the 40-year high, uh, but stays elevated, obviously, at 8.5. Uh, gas prices fall a little bit, but here we've got food and rent jumping uh, as well. And then the core CPI not necessarily moving. So I look at this, and even though it is kind of, you know, it's a good thing to be looking at this, at least in a downtrend. Sure, if we want good news, we could pick that out of the cherry basket and say that's a nice cherry. But the reality is, is the rest of the basket is still in big trouble. Uh, so with that being the case, and you look at the pressure that is coming into the Fed, especially around the August print, now the early September print that we'll get, what are you anticipating the Fed's position at the next FOMC? Yeah, look, the, the Fed has no impact on inflation, right? They, and, and people say, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, it, it's just What's the perceived fact, right? impact? No matter, no matter what they do with the Fed funds rate, because the Fed funds rate is, is a rate that really has nothing to do with reality in the sense that, do you borrow at Fed funds? Do I borrow at Fed funds? Do the listeners right. you know, borrow at Fed funds? No, no one borrows at Fed funds. The only people that borrow at Fed funds are banks. And the Fed funds rate was kept artificially low for a dozen years. Why? Yeah. To reliquify the banks after the global financial crisis. They basically were given free access to money that they could turn around and buy treasuries because no one else wants to buy treasuries because there's too many of them because we're you know spending like drunken sailors in, in DC. And because of that, what they do with interest rates, whether they raise them or lower them, it really isn't going to change inflation. Everybody's going to say, oh, look, you know, Jay Powell broke the back of inflation like, like Volcker. No, he didn't. That decline in inflation has nothing to do with interest rates. It has to do mm -hmm. with the fact that oil prices ran unnaturally because the Saudis flooded the market during the lockdown collapsed yeah. the price of oil to negative. Remember, oil price went negative for a few right. hours. Then they rebounded from 40 bucks to 120 bucks. And that shows up as CPI. Well, now oil prices are back under 100. They'll probably be back closer to 60 by the election. And over the whole period, oil prices will be unmoved and CPI won't exist. The other part of inflation print was, was used car prices. Raising the Fed funds rate isn't going to change the chip shortage in China. It's not going to change right. the zero COVID policy in China. It's not going to change the price of wheat in Ukraine. It's not going to change the price of natural gas going to uh, Europe from Russia, which is going to be, you know, pardon my French. Although I said that once, Paul, and a French person said, why do you say that? We're not vulgar. I said, I don't know why we say pardon my French. But it's going to be a shit show in the, in the fall when, you know, temperatures start to go down and, and they're still buying yeah. Russian gas. So that's a long-winded way of saying what the Fed does really has very little to do with inflation because what we're experiencing is not inflation. It's not demand pull inflation. It's not that we have excess demand and limited supply. It's we devalued the currency. I use housing prices here in North Carolina sure. as the best example. Yeah. Housing prices over the last year went up 40%, four zero in one year. Did my house get bigger? Did it grow? Did it get more efficient? Did it somehow get better? No, it actually wore out. I had to put money into it to keep it at the same level. 
But what happened is the money that people used to buy houses got devalued because they printed too much of it. And the Fed isn't going to change the number of dollars in the world by changing the Fed funds rate. Full stop. Yeah. And I think that's uh, kind of a misnomer that a lot of people look at, you know, in, in outside the traditional market analysts that really understand where the market is going. Just like what we've seen here today, you know, I was looking at uh, Scott Melker, he put out tweets saying 8.5 still, super, super bad, you know, but markets kind of care about this whole results versus expectations side of things. So obviously down expectation was 87, it came under, so we're going to see the number go up. And sure enough, those are the kind of scenarios uh, to go in that rate. Now, in, with that, what you just said, the point being around the Fed, when you look at where the Fed has been over... Gosh, I don't know the last, we'll look at this chart right here since 2008, which really was the last time we saw a, what was somewhat of a normal balance sheet around 800 billion. Uh, mm. And now we're running at nine and a half trillion. I mean, this is crazy upside right here. At what point yeah. does the Fed, I mean, how does this ever get corrected at, at any time? It doesn't, is this it never just, does. It never so it does. Just, Put up that the same nine chart, is near. Paul. Yeah, put 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 that same chart up from Japan, and yeah. go back. I mean, you oh, have it, time. but I mean, you can, if, you, if you put that same chart up of the Bank of Japan reserves, and you go to two thousand seven, you'd see the same type of of massive increase. And then they said, "No mas, level off, no yeah, more." They off. call it QQ, quantitative and qualitative easing. They said no more. Then look at their balance sheet from two thousand seven to today; it's more more. They yeah. are the kings. I mean, Kurodasan, crazy Kurodasan, is the king of weakening the currency. The yen's collapsed. You know, everyone says the dollar's so strong. The dollar's not strong. The dollar is just less weak than the yen and the euro. It's not strong mm -hmm. versus the renminbi. It's not strong versus the ruble. It's not strong versus gold. It's not strong versus Bitcoin. It's just not strong. So it's less weak than these other toilet paper currencies. But Bank of Japan said, we're not going to buy any more bonds. Ha, ha, ha. They've been buying bonds since 2007. We say we're going to reverse that balance sheet. Zero chance. Zero chance. The whole markets, the whole economies collapse if you try to take that funny money, because it really is funny money. I mean, it's money created out of thin air. And part of it is that's the plan. I mean, I, yeah. I, I hate to say it that starkly, but that has been the plan since 1913, the Fed was created to create inflation. Inflation is a myth, right? Inflation is not good for the average person. Think about it. If inflation increases a couple percent a year over a 25-year period, half yeah. of your purchasing power is destroyed. Gone. Why is that good for you? It's yeah. not. It's really good for the people at the tippy top. And it's why we have the greatest wealth and income inequality in the history of the world. And it's because for better part of a hundred and some odd years, 109 years, the Fed has quietly been stealing the wealth of the masses and siphoning it up to the tippy top. And here's a factoid that no one talks about, actually makes me really angry, in the lockdowns, right? Which may have, in, in hindsight, may have been the worst policy decisions global policymakers made in the history of policy, it's a big statement. But in that period, Instead of things getting better on this front, three and a half trillion dollars with a T, trillion, three and a half trillion of wealth went from the average person to the 
elite class, the yeah. owners, the super majority owners of these little tiny oligopolies. And that is part of the plan, right? I, I, I actually believe it was the plan all along. And uh, it's kind of crazy that we all cheer for the Fed to you know, bring us this inflation or, or tame inflation. Inflation shouldn't exist. It's, it's not something we should hope for. Yeah, I mean, the, the scenario has been one that I don't think a, a lot of people truly understand what's happening, with exception of true cryptocurrency people now that understand the alternatives here. I put out a tweet just before our, sh before our show, and it was kind of just a, a breakdown. Hey, remember the Fed? It, it, listen, it's owned by 24 prime brokers right now, not the American people. And this, you know, the differences in the balance sheets, obviously uncontrollably yep. uh, short. Plus, you get over $100 trillion in liabilities right now with this. And if you look back at what Richard Fisher said, who was the Dallas Fed, this is the guy that pretty much said, we are in a shit show already. And he's been retired yep. out of the Dallas Fed for quite some time. And he pretty much said... This is going to end badly. So how does this well, no, you're, you're not exactly end right. badly? Well, it's, the Federal Reserve is neither federal, right? It's not yeah. federal. It's not owned by the government. It's not a government agency. It has no full faith and credit. It right. is owned, as you said, by prime brokers and, and banks. Uh, it is not, it has no reserves, right? It's not mm -hmm. like a normal bank where there are actually reserves. And, and it's basically about price fixing. They price fix an interest rate that should be set by the market. The market right. should yeah. determine interest rates. Look, price fixing of any kind, right? Minimum wage, uh, interest rates, uh, rent control, price fixing of any kind is bad. People think it's good if it benefits them, like if they live in a rent control apartment or if, if they're on minimum wage. But minimum wage is a form of price fixing. And you should let the market determine the fair wage, the proper wage. And everybody says, but, but it's not livable. Well, right. define livable. Just because someone's willing to maybe live three families in a house instead of in a big mansion, and they can get by on a small amount of money because they just want to work, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that shouldn't happen. Who gets to decide what's the right amount to pay someone for their services. That's what, that's what the market determines. Just like when you, you and I decide to sell a good or yep. service, we decide, we negotiate a price and we should have the flexibility in an open and free market to decide that. And it absolutely works that way. Everywhere else, ex except when we get into the cost of money. So kind of a unique yeah. thing. I wanna get into uh, Ethereum and in general, some of the things that are happening, obviously with the potential merge coming up, we've yep. got uh, some impacts on the potential market. If you listen to Arthur Hayes, this was a tweet he put out, and he's put out a narrative around this for uh, the last few weeks that has really kind of talked about the potential of timing here with a potential pivot from the Fed. And again, this yep. gets back to a point for those who are responding to Fed pivots, the CPIs, the potential lowering or and or flattening of interest rates coming at the next FOMC. He's thinking that, hey, we look like this could look like uh, a big win for Ethereum, providing that we see the merge happen. When you look at all the uh, scenarios that are on deck right now for potentially happening between now and September, uh, another CPI and FOMC, the likelihood of the market maybe peaking 
in the essence of peak pain, yeah. uh, where we could start yeah. to see some downtrend. Do you think that the fall Q3 or Q4 is a potential turnaround time? And when I say turnaround time, this is for the early adopters that kind of understand what's happening. Yeah. Retail won't follow in for maybe two quarters after that. But what are your thoughts about that timeline uh, for this recession and potentially a Fed pivot? Yeah, so a couple of things. So one, I, I do think we are in a recession. I think it's it's a recession very similar to 2001, which was a very shallow recession. You know, Q1 2001 was negative, Q2 was actually positive, Q3 was negative, exacerbated by uh, uh, 9/11. Q4 was back to positive. The whole year GDP was up one percent, but it was still a recession. It wasn't yeah. called a recession till till later, but it, it was a recession. And the good thing is. Markets corrected, you know, markets were down about 12%, and it flushed out the fraud. Enron, WorldCom, you know, Cisco with their their bad marks on their inventory, yep. and a whole bunch of stuff then came out. And 2002 was a really bad year for the markets, down 22%. Mm -hmm. And that was the final crush uh, until the first quarter of 03 when, when we invaded Iraq and, and turned the, the markets around. So... The, I think the same thing's going on here. I think we're in recession. I think the Fed is reloading the gun so that they can try to cut interest rates as the recession gets worse. I yeah. do worry that they make a policy error and over tighten into a slowing economy and turn a recession into a depression. There's a, a 90 year cycle, Paul, that, you know, I'm not again predicting this, but it has happened for pretty much millennia, every 90 years, three generations, there is a depression. And why does it occur? It has to do with generations and the different types of, of people that make up those generations. We swing from conservative to aggressive. And you know, you have the hippie generations and the conservative yeah. generations, the greatest generations. There's a whole book forth turning about it. But in 1840, we had a, a depression. In 1930, we had a depression. And, and here we are in the 2020s. And it, it doesn't mean we have to have one, but history tells us that you're on the precipice and it's usually policy errors, right? Smoot-Hawley mm -hmm. uh, and the trade problems in, in the 1930s and then a bunch of banking regulation in the 1840s that causes the, the recession to, to get worse. So from that perspective, I would agree that it's highly likely the Fed reverses, that they continue to devalue the currency and I will argue, Paul, that each of the major currencies, the yen, the euro, and the dollar, is basically on a three-year rotating schedule of which one has to be strong. Because none yeah. of them want to be strong. They all want to devalue because it's a race to the bottom because we're all mercantilists. We want to sell cheap stuff to China. So uh, right now, it's the U.S.'s turn to be in the hot box and the euro and the yen are allowed to collapse. I think next year it'll swing the other way and we'll have the chance to 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 lower the to devalue the dollar and in that scenario you know what we know about bitcoin ethereum etc in their own currency they're the same one bitcoin is one bitcoin mm -hmm. one eth is one eth right but we don't price in bitcoin or eth right. we price in other things we price in dollars or yen or euros or bolivars i would say you know there's never been a bear market in Bitcoin, in Bolivars, or in Turkish Lira, <laughs> or in Argentinian pesos, 
is only dollars because of the ebb and flow of, of the business cycle. And so my, my issue on Ethereum here is it could be a buy the rumor, sell the news. Right. right? We've had a huge right. move off the bottom, almost 100%. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Bitcoin's only up about 45. And I will argue that, you know, winter's over. We're in crypto spring. Crypto spring lasts six to nine months. We're probably, you know, month and a half in. And then you get crypto summer where you get the next parabolic move in anticipation of the halving. And I do see that happening, but it's possible, not saying likely, but it's possible that people have front run the merge and Mm. that on the final event, right, it's buy the rumor, sell the news, we could actually see weakness in Ethereum. And look, I don't have the answer for, are we going to have a single chain world with Bitcoin as the base, lightning, and then layer threes and fours? Or are we going to have a multi-chain world with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, whatever? I can't answer that today. Uh, I've made bets that it's probably, I'm probably leaning more toward a multi-chain world. uh, And I'm, you know, probably think that's more likely, but the maxis do make a very (laughs) elegant case for why everything should be built on Bitcoin. Proof of work is far superior to proof of stake. I believe that hundred percent. Um, so look, it's it's a complicated issue. Uh, we do own both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I'm not as overweight Bitcoin probably as I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but And that has some information content in it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was looking at uh, Gareth Soloway. He comes on our show quite a bit. He, he put out a tweet here. Let me zoom up on that for you guys. Uh, 5.9 on the core CPI market expected north of six. So kind of around the same stripping out the food and energy obviously is the key. Uh, I doubt this rally lasts uh, long enough kind of to your point um, here and, and be wary. Economy is slowing. Inflation still high. Re- recession still likely. A lot of headwinds coming in. So Mark, with that being said, and, and you, I think we're somewhat on the same wavelength here in terms yeah. of I, I still think we got a little bit of pain in the markets left to squeeze out. Yep. Most likely we're going to see some corrections here. The real question is when when do we see that bottom? Obviously, whoever calls the bottom is going to be the the savant of this season, you know, in the essence of really being able to kind of put Well, let's separate the it. two markets, right? Yeah, so look at it. Look at traditional versus traditional crypto. markets. Traditional markets, again, my opinion is we're in a 2001 redo. You know, first quarter 2001, we had a little relief rally because everybody thought the Fed was going to bail us out after the downturn in the fourth quarter of of 2000, which wasn't even very deep, six, seven percent. We had a little relief rally and then we had the sell in May and go away. And we basically had a low volatility relief rally. So we had a fall in the spring when first quarter GDP went negative. And then we had a relief rally in the summer. No one was working. Everybody's on vacation and yes, short squeeze. And we've got almost back to even. September comes, people get back to work. They're like, oh crap, this is ugly. 9-11 happens and bang. And we were down 12% in the fourth quarter. And then the real flotsam and jetsam came to the surface and we were down 22% the next year. I think the same thing's gonna happen here. I think we're having this low volatility, short squeeze kind of rally. Uh, you know, we're still down 18% in NASDAQ. Everybody's all excited because it's up a lot today. Yeah, we're still down 18%. And 
I think it could easily rally through Labor Day. People come back to work and then they look at it and say, geez, this really is bad. And, and yeah. Q3 GDP really is not looking good. And so, so in the traditional markets, I think the fall is going to be painful. You know, October is the cruelest month and all that good stuff. Crypto, I think the lows are in. I think the lows were, were mid-June. Uh, I think we've made a series of higher lows. Uh, we're in accumulation pattern. You know, we are in a distribution pattern all the way through June 14th. Uh, we had that cathartic drop from 30,000 down to 17,500. Uh, I think that's it. And now, you know, 24,000 level in Bitcoin is kind of the new accumulation resistance. And we're mm -hmm. making this ascending triangle and these lower, these higher lows. Uh, as soon as we break through 24, uh, I think we're off to the races and I would be accumulating uh, digital assets and I would be uh, liquidating traditional assets. And, and I was on a, a network TV uh, a couple weeks ago and, and the host asked me, she said, you know, shouldn't we be buying these, these cheap tech stocks? I said, well, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Tech stocks are down 30% at the time and they're, sure. they're up 10% since then. But I said, here's the thing, even with that, they're still in the top 7% most overvalued in their history. Right. So 140 years of data, they've only been more expensive 7% of the time. Bitcoin, which was about 18,000 at the time, I said, has only been cheaper 2% of the time. Now it's only 14 mm -hmm. years, not 140 years, but that's a long trend. So. I'm just going to bet that buying something in the cheapest 2%, now we're in the cheapest 5%, is better mm -hmm. than buying something in the most expensive 93%. That's just me. Well, it, but yeah, I'm, and a if you look at, I'm a value guy. No, I understand. Yeah, buy, buy in the red zones. And, and that's definitely where we are right now. We're checked in there, I think, with, with crypto. And, and to your point, where is that low? Bitcoin could have hit it with the 17 being the low uh, yeah. in this particular season. There was a lot of people that grabbed up some of that. Great. Uh, there are back also to your point on the traditional markets, it's a good time to be looking at, hey, maybe this is our chance to uh, hit the door one more time. You got Elon Musk selling seven, almost eight million Tesla shares worth six point eight eight billion. Uh, then you have BlackRock, of course, Larry Fink also just dumping 20 million in shares. So again, last time he did this, it was right pre-COVID. So um, there seems to be a little bit of that to your tone of the traditional markets. There could be still some deep cuts. With deep cuts. I even have a hashtag is... for it, Paul. Insiders <laughs> okay. don't sell at bottoms. That, that's okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, they don't, it, right? Insiders it, know yeah. more than you and me. That's yeah, why they're insiders. Sure. Yeah. And when they sell, there is there is information content. When they buy, yeah. there's information content. For sure. So you know, it's it's kind of like when you know, I used to work at universities, and when people give gifts of appreciated stock, you should mm -hmm. immediately short the stock. Because they yeah, don't exactly. give the stuff that's undervalued. They it's give sure. the stuff that's overvalued. Mm -hmm. And it, it, again, has information content because um, they're trying to avoid the, the capital gains tax. So I, I think, you know, we're in an environment where, you know, I was a, I've been talking a lot about this lately, not because not it was a big deal, but I was a high school wrestler and uh, my coach had these two funny sayings. So one, you know, you'd be out there and guy would have you in a headlock and you'd say, I, I can't breathe, coach. He'd say, if you can talk, you can breathe. I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. Um, but the second one, he's like, look, where the head goes, the body follows. So you want someone's body to move to the left side of the mat, put their head over there and the body will follow. And 
if economic growth is slowing, which it clearly is, yep. earnings are not going to rise. It's just where the head goes, the body follows. And earnings are going to fall. And that means stocks are probably uh, overvalued. And it doesn't mean that we can't recover. We will recover. You know, this recession will end and we'll get back to recovery. But I see no signs of any sort of economic policy that, that is stimulative, right? Putting more IRS agents to audit more people is not yeah. going to make them start more businesses and spend more money. Um, increasing taxes on people that make less than $400,000 is not going to encourage them to take out a home equity line and start a business and increase employment. Um, all of the recent moves, uh, other than, right, if they cut a deal with Saudi right before the election to get oil prices down and gas prices down to try to buy votes, fine. Sure. Um, that, that's a, a form of a tax rebate, but it's, it's temporal. It's not permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, I, I'm, I'm not calling for the end of the world and I'm not, call, I'm not saying we're in a depression. I'm saying the risks are there. The policy moves that are being made seem like policy mistakes to me. Raising interest rates and restricting liquidity into a slowing economy has never been a good idea good. historically. Yeah. Yeah. Raising taxes is, you know, on the people that create the jobs has never been a good idea. Taxing income and uh, innovation and wealth creation never been a good idea. Um, I just, I, I've never understood this whole phenomenon of, it's okay to just print money out of thin air, right? The Fed created $2 trillion during COVID lockdown, okay? Put us in a budget deficit of almost $2 trillion. Yeah. No, no you know, reason to balance the budget. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, now we need to balance the budget. So let's go tax people's income. Like, no, what you should do is encourage people to make as much income as possible to create as many capital gains as possible. Capital gains should Stimulate. be tax-free yep. and you should tax consumption, Yeah, right? It's Which fair, I think- it's equitable. If you don't want to get taxed, you don't consume. You can't cheat, right? If I buy a shirt, I pay tax. I go out to a yep. restaurant, I pay tax. Yep. People say, oh no, that's so regressive. I'm like, no, you can exempt you know, necessities. You can make uh, certain income levels have, have rebates that, that cover their, their consumption taxes. All kinds of things you can do to make it non- uh, regressive. Right. But at the end of the day, income and wealth creation is the backbone of capitalist society. And mm-hmm. my fear is we've been shifting toward cronyism away yeah. from through capitalism and the power of the masses and the power of innovation. And, you know, I guess the one good thing of all this is by actually allowing a recession for the first time in 14 years, what it will do, it'll shut down the weak companies. Yeah. And I do feel for any family who's impacted by that, right? But what'll happen is the innovators will start new businesses sure. and the people will retrain and we'll get the formation of some of the great companies of the future, just like that happened after the 2001 recession, 2000. just like yep. happened after the global financial crisis. People get displaced, they have to do something, they get creative, they get. Uh, focused on building as opposed to handouts and and the world's a better place. So I, I am actually really positive on the future because I know that these periods of winter 
lead to spring and summer. Yeah, for sure. So Mark, okay, so potentially here we've got the traditional markets and you know, then you look at the crypto markets in themselves, obviously been somewhat in lockstep here. Fed seems to be almost like a Hawkeye watch on everything that the Fed, if the, it, you know, if it you know, breathes the wrong way in, uh, on a certain meeting, then we see immediate reactive uh, measurements within cryptocurrency. Do you think we're going to see some sort of separation at any point between Bitcoin and what's happening with the Fed anytime? Most soon? important question that we've talked about. Absolutely most important question we've talked about. And questions are always more important than answers. That question is the most important question. And, and it's one that I find so few people actually spend time thinking about the answer because the answer is really important. If you look at the history of Bitcoin and digital assets, they are uncorrelated with traditional assets. Yep. 0.1 correlated to stocks, 0.0 correlated to bonds. Why is that? Well, because stocks and bonds are all driven by the same things. GDP yep. growth, interest rate mm -hmm. policy, inflation. Those things have nothing to do with crypto. With cryptocurrency. No, Mark, they have everything to do with crypto. No, they have nothing to do with crypto. Crypto is driven by the technology itself, adoption, growth of the network, regulation, and changes in, in the technology. Nothing to do with those other things. But people say, but it's been highly correlated to, to a devaluation of the currency. No, 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 no. One Bitcoin still worth one Bitcoin. One ETH still worth one ETH. What you're doing is you're pricing it in a devaluing currency. One of the funny things is people have stocks near all-time highs. Well, right. If you price them in dollars, if you price them in gold, they're the same price as 1996. Yeah. Stock prices have not moved since 1996. What's happened is the stock prices didn't move. The value of the business didn't move. The currency you price them in got devalued. And the same things happening here is... In November, we had the greatest leverage in the system in history, in the financial markets, traditional financial markets, highest margin debt ever, and also the highest leverage in the crypto because there are people doing stupid stuff, yep. you know, levering up their crypto 50, 100x at some of these crazy places around the world. And you had hedge funds like, you know, Three, Ar Three Arrows Capital levering, you know, 3 billion into 18 billion. So massive leverage. You had Elon borrowing money to buy Bitcoin, massive leverage. So what happens when leverage goes down? Sure. Liquidations. Yep. When a liquidation, why do you get a margin call? You bought an asset, Peloton. Peloton goes down 90%. Yeah. And you bought it on margin. You got to pay the margin back. You can't sell Peloton to pay back the margin. So what do you do? You sell bonds. Other assets. You sell cash. You sell yep. gold. You sell Bitcoin. So what happens is in liquidations, in periods of time where markets fall, not because fundamentals are getting worse, but because the leverage is being forced to be liquidated and you're selling assets to cover those margin calls. In those environments, correlations all go to one. So if you look at March of 2020, gold went down, Bitcoin went down, stocks went down, bonds went down. Off the bottom, Bitcoin rallied way more than stocks. Why? Right, right. Because it was yeah. reflecting the massive devaluation of the currency that occurred, right? It happened in real time. And the same thing is happening now is the reason Bitcoin has rallied much more than stocks since the middle of June is because it didn't care anymore. It mm -hmm. got fully delevered. 
Three arrows went away. Tesla, you know, Elon's levered position went away. Bunch of other hedge funds that, you know, went bust, belly up. All the leverage, pretty much, not 100% of it, but most of yeah. it went out. We the still have the it. second highest leverage in the history of traditional financial markets in the equity markets. So I think that still has the chance to delever, and that would put pressure on stocks in the fall. Crypto, we don't have that. So yeah. it will now do what it does, which is TikTok next block, more people adopting it, more wallets, more transactions, more network value. The value of, of Bitcoin, right, follows Metcalf's law, a perfect parabolic curve. Fair value today, 32, 33K, whatever the number is, we're below fair value. Now we'll get back to fair value. And then unfortunately in the next, you know, crypto summer, we'll go above fair value sure. and then we'll crash back below fair value. That's just the nature of greed and fear. One of my favorite charts, Paul, is if you go to advisorperspectives.com and, and they have this chart and it shows 140 years of market history. And it has this red regression line that goes mm -hmm. up and to the right, about a 6% slope. I mean, about a 60% angle slope. Why? Well, stocks should go up, right? Companies grow, they pay dividends, the, ec the economy grows. They should, stocks should go up about, you know, 6% a year in real terms. But that's not what happens. Price is not value. Price goes way above when people are yep. greedy and way below when people are fearful. And so we're at a period now where we are, again, only 7% of the time in history have we been more above fair value. We need a 53% drop from here to get yeah. back to fair value. And I'm not saying we're going to fair value tomorrow, but the point is we're super expensive and it's better to own things, I believe, that are below fair value. So Bitcoin at 24,000 is below a 33,000 fair value. I'd rather buy that alpha, built-in alpha, right. rather than try to hope that we stay above fair value in equities. Yeah, so your, your position is, you know, right now undervalued in, in terms of the crypto market, obviously Bitcoin, Ethereum. What we're seeing with Ethereum may be a little bit priced in prior to the merge. Uh, now to your point, you know, to your point, a couple of articles here that I want to hit on. Obviously Coinbase, uh, the BlackRock deal, this is, a big, this is a big potential adoption, at least lane, that could be going in this direction. Uh, for the future. Yeah. We got a chance to get on with uh, Seamus from uh, Metaco this morning. And yep. uh, Metaco, you know, a big organizer of institutional finance going into Citibank, their partnership of being able to secure and handle custody for crypto assets, which yep. he mentioned something that I thought was very interesting, which leads to your point about adoption. And the, the point he was making is that the legacy banking institutions that are out there right now, they're all living on a technology that essentially is three to four decades old. You know, and if you could imagine trying to run your business on a three to four decade old yeah. technology, you know, those are the IBM mainframes of, of that yeah. era, pre-internet pre days. Um, that being the case, what he mentioned is that a lot of these institutions are actually building on top of that infrastructure with an entire new blockchain asset as the derivative for how they're gonna handle financial instruments yep. in the future. If that happens, if, if we truly see banks moving in that direction, obviously adoption is gonna absolutely just come on board like crazy. When that happens, do you feel that we'll see a separation within the crypto markets because it would become kind of that 12th sector 
as Kevin O'Leary likes to say, of the market, where cryptocurrencies just now are, are common day investment classes on all banks and all you know exchanges out there. What are your thoughts no, about great, yeah, that movement? Great, great analysis and, and great point. And, and look, this is simply an evolution of technology, right? I mean, this is yep. tech path. This is the tech path. In fact, to, to that point, I, my first client meeting, I went to visit this wealthy family down in Charlotte and uh, walk in and this nice man comes out, 83 years old, bow tie, Southern gentleman. And we got chatting and we're pitching him our, our new fund. And, and uh, I said, you know, sir, I'm really curious, how did you make your fortune? You're worth $300 million. And, and he says, you know, you see that map on the wall? And I'm like, yeah, it was a map of Charlotte. And it had these concentric circles, three concentric circles uh, drawn in red, red pen. And he says, I basically figure out the path of progress and I buy land one circle yeah. outside and I wait. <laughs> Mike, that's there it. You go. <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty much it. And made me a lot of money. And so it's the same thing, right? So if I think about 54 was the mainframe, 68 was the microchip, 82 is a personal computer, 96 yeah. was the internet, 2010 was the mobile net, and 2024, still coming, is the yeah. truth net. And the yeah. truth net is blockchain. Blockchain replaces trust with truth. We don't have to trust intermediaries and banks, and the banks have figured this out. We will have truth on blockchain and this evolution of technology, right? It's unfathomable, as you say, that Visa, which is money to most of us, yeah. Right now, it still sits on top of Fedwire and ACH, which, to your mm -hmm. point, are decades-old horrible technology. Yeah. In terms of technology, they're not horrible things. They're just bad technology. Uh, in, in now that we've had progress, but Visa runs on Cobol. Yeah. Cobol. And I, I was talking to the guy. And he said, well, it's actually kind of a moat. I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, well, most people don't know how to code Cobol, code so they don't know how to Cobol. hack us. And I'm like. That's, That's really interesting. interesting. And he said, yeah, the only problem is when it breaks, we got to turn on a light. <laughs> no, we got to turn on a light at the Sunnyvale retirement home and some 80-year-old comes over and fixes it for us. Yeah. And he's not joking because yeah. my 84-year-old no. dad could still code COBOL yeah. and my 11-year-old son could not, right? Yeah. That, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, all right. That, that being the case, uh, and this is kind of the point that I'm getting to, we'll kind of wrap up here, but the the scenario in place right now, everybody kind of sees the writing on the wall, but yet we've got an old guard in place, both from a political mm -hmm. standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, if you look at how the Fed operates and yep. essentially how prime brokers pretty much control what the flow of money and whether or not we see positive or negative interest, all of that being the case. Then you have something like this right here, Democratic centers now chiding Fidelity because of their move on investments uh, so obviously, Bitcoin exposing retirement funds could be the greatest thing ever, possibly for retirement funds. But yet yeah. we have the political sphere in a position. So I guess the real question is here, Mark, do you think that we are truly ready for a complete true shift in how lawmakers and the, you know, let's just say it, the institution of America uh, really responds? Because I think everybody kind of knows that the, the train is coming down the track, but the question is whether or not they're ready to be with yeah, it or against it. Look, there's, you go back to the golden age of 
of America and American politics in the you know, late 60s and, and early 70s. And, and what did you have? You had a bunch of 35 to 40-year-olds basically saying there's this, actually, you know, you had John F. Kennedy getting elected. Uh, you know, you had, you know, uh, Joe Biden. There's this you know, a video of Joe Biden at 35 years old saying, you must pass the torch you octogenarians, you know, and they were probably only septuagenarians then, but you need to pass the torch to us 35 year olds. Now he's an 80 and he didn't want to give up the torch. So if we're run by octogenarians and nothing against, I I hope to be one someday. um, And they're beautiful people, but the reality is leadership and greatness and creativity. Look at history. It's young people. Yeah. And what we need is that next shift in, in leadership. And it's coming, right? But it'll take another cycle. If you look at all tech innovation, it's all young people. Yeah. All of it, right? Bill Gates was young. You know, Sergey and Larry were young. Mark Andreessen was young. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was young. I mean, why? why? And, it's, and it's because, and again, this doesn't play as well like it used to. But when, I, when you and I were growing up, actually, I'm older than you. But when I was growing up, there was this comedian, Bill Cosby, that, you know, was still okay back then. And, and he had this thing and he talked about this, this kid. He said, this kid could ride his bike anywhere. Like he'd ride up and down the swing set and across the tops of fences. And he'd, he'd do 360 circles, six inches off the ground. And he'd never fall. You know, the first time he fell, when someone explained to him about gravity. So, Young people don't know what they don't know, and, and they're creative, and they're innovative, and they're, they're great leaders, and, and that's what we need. So we need the inspired, impassioned young people to, 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 to take some, some positions of, of power. And, you know, tired old dinosaurs, and I'd say it to her face, uh, like Liz, just need to retire. They need to go away. Um, yeah. Because here's the thing. From 2009 to 2014, okay? from Bitcoin's foundation for the first five, six years, it was the famous Gandhi quote that Gandhi didn't say, but is attributed to him. Um, First, they ignore you. Ah, That's a bunch of nerds and geeks with their funny magic internet money, whatever. Then they laugh at you. So 2016 to 21, oh God, look at those nerds and geeks with their magic internet money, so stupid. Then they fight you. So 2022, to 2027, they're going to fight. And the incumbents are going to fight really hard because what's at stake, Paul, is $7 trillion. The banking cabal skims, skims, and I use that term intentionally, Mm -hmm. $7 trillion a year from all of us for the privilege of using our money. Yeah. Unbelievable. $7 trillion. For the privilege. And that will all go away in a Bitcoin world. So the fourth line of the quote, right, is, and then you win. Well, the good news is we've already won. So yes, they're going to fight us, but we've already won. Those of us who have embraced the digital future and crypto, we've already won. So she can hem and haul all she wants. She can try to pass (laughs) rules. She can try to stop it. But it's, it's literally like, you know, trying to stop an avalanche, right? Yeah. Or, or the famous scene of Kevin Bacon in Animal House, remain calm, all is well. And then he's trampled <laughs> into the pavement by the, by the crowd. So 
she can say, you know, trust in the old system, trust the people that have me on the payroll. You know, look at look at all our elected officials. They're all gazillionaires. Yeah. And how does that happen? We don't pay them that much. Mm. Well, they get paid yeah. for speaking. They get paid to pass bills no, that help for companies. <laughs> they get paid to award contracts to phantom corporations owned by their siblings. I mean, it's it's bad stuff. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that too shall pass. Um, governments tend to uh, kill themselves, right? Yeah. All empires die uh and new ones rise in their place and and i think we'll see that and we're seeing it around the world but look i'm 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 as hopeful as i've ever been i know lots of good young leaders who who want to to take a role the innovation wave in crypto the young people myself excluded because i'm an old guy but the the people i work with day to day are young talented vibrant passionate incredibly focused on building a better world and and that's inspiring, and that's that's why I do what I do. Hey, Mark, I definitely want to get to some questions here, but I do agree with you. I think we are at that we're at that gate right now. Truly, barbarians are at the gate for sure. Uh, I think we have a, a poll coming up too. Let's take a quick poll. Oh. All right, will crypto recover twenty eight k in September? People leaning nice. in, yes, we might we might get it. So uh, September could look a little nice. Uh, even though we could see a little bit of a correction here, back down to what your base is, somewhere around the 24K range as kind of the yep. new healthy bottom for yep. crypto. Um, let's talk about, uh, here's Colorado Crypto. Crypto ETFs uh, saying everything, that's possibly going to mess everything up. Do you think we're going to have an ETF, uh, spot ETF any anytime soon? Um, we will have a spot ETF when BlackRock says we can, and it will be BlackRock's and no one okay. else's. Yeah. And... Um, Look, the reason we got the uh, futures ETFs was because BlackRock and JP Morgan and everyone else was then exactly. able to short Bitcoin and Bingo. cause the price to collapse so they could so buy they more. So they can get in. So yes. I would say with, with Colorado Crypto here, the, the ETFs, it's not that they're going to mess it up. They already did mess it up. Did it mess was it the, up futures related ETFs that allowed massive shorting starting in, in November. And if you look at the yeah. peak of the market in November, it was within six days of the release of, of those uh, futures based ETFs. Futures markets are what mess up physical commodities because you can create yeah. that commodity out of thin air. And whether it's oil yeah. markets, gold prices have been spoofed for years mm -hmm. by JP Morgan and BlackRock, et cetera. And I think the same thing's happening here. So I think it's we will get game. spot ETF. Look, a spot ETF, I, I know where the point's coming from, from Colorado Crypto, but, but here's the thing. CFI, centralized finance, is not the devil, right? The true Bitcoin maxis, the sovereign individuals who want to be their own bank and they understand the tech, glorious. That is the future. Yeah. But there's yeah. a whole generation, my dad, some of my friends, they don't want to manage their own keys. They want these yeah. products. And as long exactly. as they're spot products, yeah. which means yeah. there actually is an increased demand for spot Bitcoin, which someone does have to hold the keys, that's a good thing. It's a really yeah. good thing. Uh, all right. So institutions buy in. Uh, they're looking at this maybe as a 2020, as the inflationary decade. So maybe... 
Man, not what I, I, I you're take thinking. the other. I take the under. I, I think we're going back to deflation, and it's all about the <laughs> inflation is a hundred percent correlated to working age population growth and labor force participation. Right. Both of which are known with precision for the next decade. Both yep. of which are going down. Okay. Every day in this country, ten thousand people turn sixty-five every single day for the next 17 years. And yep. that ain't gonna stop. And 65 to 85 year old people are not very productive and they don't spend a lot. They're perfectly nice people, but they're just not productive. And so what happens in that environment is interest rates go down and inflation goes down. And when you throw on top of that massive debt, mm -hmm. it's deflationary. So I well, think we'll see more deflation than inflation. Interesting in the next you day. say that. We've had that argument here in the crypto pit. Often, and uh, it, there is a, a consensus, you know, of looking at. I, I still am in in that same framework of that deflation is potentially at bay over the next yeah. decade. We could see this, and you know, go you can't read, be go read the stuff from Lacey Hunt at Hoisington okay. Capital. So have the listeners or viewers, you know, uh, listen to Lacey or read Lacey Hunt, uh, Hoisington H O I S I N G T O N uh, Capital, and he explains it way better than me. <laughs> I like this. Uh, Corey comes in and says, wait a minute, BlackRock cost the crypto crash. Uh, I like it. And I think in general, guys, um, you, the key- But the let's key... just say Shakespeare was right. <laughs> the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Yeah, so yeah. anytime a group denies something without even being asked, you're like, huh, that's interesting. Why are you denying it? Mm. Um, and look, is it BlackRock alone? Is it BlackRock plus Citadel plus JP Morgan? Yeah, sure. yeah. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to accuse Larry Fink of anything. What I'm saying is the big institutions, the incumbents, don't want to be disrupted. They're yeah. no different than the big telephone companies that try no to doubt. stop the internet, right? The, the phone companies do not like the fact that you and I are talking for free. Okay, voice over internet protocol is happening mm -hmm. right now for yep. free. And I used to have to pay a dollar a minute. Like when I was growing up, my phone bills long distance with my girlfriend were like hundreds of dollars. My parents would freak out because we'd sit on the phone and say, what are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. And it would cost hundreds of dollars because the phone companies could charge that. Now you can talk to anyone around the world anywhere for nothing. Sure. And phone companies tried to stop that. You go back to the horse and buggy, people that tried to stop the automobile. The, the red flag law. Anyone know where red flag comes from? Turn of the century, right? They invent the horse's carriage and the horse and buggy manufacturers lobbied, meaning paid grift uh, to New York City to pass a law called the red flag law that if you had an automobile, you had to hire a person with a red flag to walk in front of the car so no one would get hit. True story. The now, clearly you no know, walks Mark. in front of cars now with a red flag. That went away. <laughs> Clear we don't have horse and buggy except in Central Park. And cars did win. And eventually we won't have banks. Yeah. I hate to say it, but we won't have banks. We will be... have digital accounts. We will have DeFi. Yeah. And but but here's here's the interesting thing. I talk about the digital divide. Ask anyone over 35 years old, who's your broker? Oh, Maryland, yeah. Goldman Sachs, right, know, right. whatever. You know, Maryland or UBS. Okay. How much uh, gold do you have? I don't know, three, four percent. How much Bitcoin do you have? Oh, zero. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a Ponzi. Right. Have I heard this guy Peter Schiff? Not zero. How often do you use DeFi? What's DeFi? 
Yeah. Ask right. anyone under 35, who's your broker? What's a broker? You mean yeah. I got a Robinhood account? You mean that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How much gold do you have? Oh, are you kidding me? Boomer rocks? Yeah. Zero. Haven't heard this Peter Schiff guy? How much Bitcoin do you have? I don't want to talk about it. Why not? Because a really big percentage of my net worth, I'm kind of embarrassed. How often do you use DeFi? Every day. So yeah. that digital divide is going to transition $37 trillion with a T. And remember, a trillion That's is a dollar a second for 31,710 yep. years. $37 trillion from our generation to the echo boomers. That $37 trillion is not going to traditional assets. It's yeah, going to digital sure. assets. Yeah, for Just sure. Uh, always fun, Mark, digging into the details with you. And I think a lot of to you guys' uh, questions uh, here on the channel is, you know, obviously we look at trends like this. Macro is a big part of this, but we definitely want to get you back on soon, Mark. So thanks again for uh, stopping in. Awesome. We thanks, Paul. It. Great to be with you. Excellent. You bet. All right. So you guys are tuned in over on the podcast side of things right now. Uh, listen, we appreciate all that, but you got to jump in over here on the YouTube channel. This is where you're going to catch all the all the alpha. It's also where we break down these deep dive interviews. We do a lot of, of a spot analysis on the charts, as well as look at our own power index sentiment data. So all that happens right here on the channel. And of course, you can always join in on the conversation through the diamond circle. It's absolutely free. Just click the link below. If you guys want to reach me, hit me out on Twitter at Paul Barron. We'll catch you next time right here on TechBath.